0: Welcome to Startup Soundbites, the student-run podcast from Columbia Business School's Entrepreneurs Organization. We're talking with emerging student entrepreneurs currently pursuing their MBA while in the process of launching their new venture. I'm your host, Shofu Jawara, a first-year MBA candidate here at Columbia. Today we're talking with Laura Kornhauser and Michael Trikasky, co-founders of Stratify, a business analytics company with the vision of helping enterprises make better data-driven decisions. Laura and Michael, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, show. How are you? I'm doing hey. great. Thanks.
0: Thanks for having us here. Awesome. Um, to start off, can you tell us what Stratified does and what your vision is for the company?
1: Yes. Yeah, so again, just thank you so much for having us on the podcast. We're so happy to be here talking to you about Stratify. So at Stratify, we help enterprises manage their data driven decision processes, saving employees time and aggravation while delivering better customer experiences to the end user.
2: So decision systems are everywhere, anywhere from financial services to insurance, healthcare, retail, even technology. These decision systems mostly are based on outdated technology, mm-hmm. which leads to uh, lower flexibility, low, lack of visibility and transparency that has a significant impact on the company's top and bottom lines mm-hmm. and has a very dramatic effect on customer experience uh, for the end user. So our solution takes a new and innovative approach to decision management. Mm-hmm.
1: We do this by combining expert knowledge embedded in existing rule systems with machine learning to form one truly powerful decision management solution. Our vision going forward is to be the decision management platform of choice for any data-driven enterprise.
0: So like, what's, what's an example of what that might look like for an actual company?
2: Sure, uh, so we can discuss actually our uh, go-to-market strategy, which we uh, aim to begin with uh, lending and specifically alternative lending. Um, so, alternative lenders make most of their risk decisions
1: historically based on models that are fundamentally outdated. These models were originally developed in the 1950s and they're based on a set of rules that a given data set is then passed through to arrive at a given outcome. They are effectively linear regression models that typically only took in about four inputs. One of those mm-hmm. inputs was your FICO score, which actually feeded in three of the other inputs. So it's a bit of circularity there on, yeah. the, on your traditional lending models. Uh, this is a problem that's very kind of well-known in the in the lending industry, and it's a Problem that a number of startups have have uh, been addressing through their own uh, own products and own peer to peer marketplaces uh, or other lending marketplace platforms. Uh, a lot of players in that market have addressed the again issues with these uh, outdated heritage models by <clears throat> looking at patterns in data, searching for patterns in historical data, and using those patterns to predict future outcomes. Mm-hmm. While these methods, uh, that method has a lot of benefits and there's a lot of really wonderful technology behind it, it has the very notable drawback of not really understanding the why behind a given decision or understanding what a key decision driver was. So while this advanced artificial intelligence and machine learning technology, uh, again, is really wonderful and can be really helpful in predicting future outcomes, uh, it lacks transparency uh, that can really... uh, uh, hurt uh, how you ultimately interact with your end user, or in this case, the end lender. Uh, So because of these issues with existing uh, model architectures, we feel that our new model architecture uh, is, is very well suited to address the problems in this particular market.
2: Yeah. I mean, to give a very uh, simple example, I can give an example of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm an international student here at Columbia. Um, I got a great job for the summer. My wife has a great job. I never was late to a single payment in my life. Yeah, And it took me over a year to get a credit card in the US. And according to the survey we conducted here at Columbia among international students, uh, more than half of them, it took them more than a year uh, to get access to credit. And MBA students are not an exception. In the U.S., um, about 14 million people are underbanked or unbanked at all, so they don't have access to credit. So, this has significant implications on customer experience, service, and on the revenue, line, uh, revenue figures for financial institutions.
0: Got it. So, is, is the output of what you're making, like, a data model or is it like a bunch of data points that tell you whether or not a lender is worthy?
2: Excellent. So actually it's both. Um, we go hand in hand with the financial institution and we help them build and construct the model and later execute uh, a single applicant. Mm-hmm. So if a lender or a credit card issuer or a mortgage or any other form of uh, lending, um, is interested in building a model or adjusting their existing model, we can help them and improve the transparency and flexibility of that model. Basically enable A-B testing of risk models, something that is impossible today or prohibitively costly. Um, And Then when the model is is ready, they can uh, execute and as Laura said, Mm -hmm. an applicant comes with some data points, some have more, some have less, and our system gives out um, an output, basically a risk assessment, um, and even looking forward in the very near future, a price estimate. So we we also allow for uh, pricing decisions for our clients.
0: So is your long-term goal for Stratify as a product um, to be used for a, a bunch of different applications outside of lending?
1: Yeah. So... Uh, thank you so much for asking that question, Shelly. Uh, so yes, we believe that our our model um, has many applications uh, that are outside of outside of lending and outside of even the financial world. Um, so you know they. Our model architecture is, uh, can be completely fungible between different use cases. So really the, the secret sauce, if you will, behind Stratify, um, again, this underlying uh, model architecture and framework on top of which um, our enterprise clients can build their models and, and easy, easily uh, update, analyze, test those models, that can be applied across different industries. Um, you know, Where we've received a good amount of traction so far has been in both the healthcare and insurance industries. Mm. Where again, they suffer from a lot of these same model issues that we outlined already, uh, where their models are effectively the risk models. While they uh, factor in, uh, you know, years and years of, of, of knowledge, insight, intelligence, um, are fundamentally extraordinarily rigid in the way that they uh, have in their in their underlying framework. Uh, this means, you know, we've heard anecdotally from from customer interviews that this means it takes. Uh, teams of 50 analysts weeks, if not months to even add one rule. Um, So one new rule to a given model. So again, when we're saying one new rule, that may be one thing that your risk analyst you know, thinks may have predictive power, but isn't really sure and wants to test that out and wants to see what what the impact of adding that new piece of information to the overall model has. Mm-hmm. Right now, those risk analysts uh, are not able to do that uh, in any sort of a way that's, that's easy or streamlined. And as a result, they don't end up as Michael mentioned before, really A/B testing their models, stress testing in in, in new and innovative ways uh, to ultimately see how they can make small improvements to make their overall pro- or overall predictive capability be a lot better. So, we think that this can extend to a lot of industries outside of finance. Um, you know, even all the way to e-commerce and autonomous systems, which makes you know hundreds of decisions every second. So- yeah,
2: basically, um, an autonomous vehicle makes over two hundred decisions per second, and thanks to the flexible nature of our system and the probabilistic underlying technology under our uh, under our engine, um, we we are uh, happy to serve these clients as well because a faulty sensor, like a gyroscope or a mm-hmm. missing data point like a FICA score for a new student, um, to our system is a very similar thing. Um, and we're happy to serve both. As Laura knows, um, <laughs> if there is one thing that I'm losing sleep over, while I'm very happy with our go-to-market strategy right mm-hmm. now, is uh, the fact that we are not pursuing the healthcare, um, the insurance space right now. Because we had so many meetings and there is so much potential over there. Yeah. Uh, but we made this decision because mostly of uh, sales cycles that are just too long in this space.
1: Yeah. And we're very mindful that, you know, we have an extraordinarily powerful technology. I mean, I like to think of it as a bazooka, you know, whenever I can. Uh, and, you know, there are many, many different directions that we can point it. Yeah, um, right. But it's it's very thoughtful, as, as you understand and, and the folks listening uh, for any early stage company. It's very important that you focus on doing one thing perfectly before you then try to do two, three, four. Mm-hmm five things. Um, so we are very cognizant of that fact uh, and very focused on uh, nailing our initial use case uh, before we move on to the additional market opportunities.
0: Yeah. So I'm so curious, like how did two MBAs kind of end okay. up founding such a, a technical
2: company? I, I love the innuendo that MBAs cannot do complicated things. <laughs> <totally> <laughs> there. I'm
1: just,
2: I'm just, Never, there? Never. are not
1: those stereotypes.
0: Um, that is my question though. <laughs> 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 Absolutely.
2: Outside of beer pong. <laughs> um, Which we're very good at as well, I'd like yeah. to add. But <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it would be a very uh, great point to talk about our co-founding team. Um, the the guy who basically developed the underlying technology uh, over the last decade is uh, Dmitry, uh, who has a PhD in theoretical physics and has been no, working. That makes sense. Yeah, and has, he, uh, this is uh, related to his PhD thesis as well. Uh, and he worked in finance, uh, as any theoretical physicist does. Uh, he worked <laughs> in finance uh, over the last decade in risk, and he saw a lot of these issues that we mentioned before, Uh, and basically in his garage uh, was tweaking the math behind it uh, over the last decade. Wow. And a few years ago, he got in touch with his childhood friend Stas, who is accidentally my brother, (laughs) and they started basically to develop this math into something that may have applications in the real world. And these conversations turned more and more serious. I got involved, I would say, about a year ago. Um, first, in more conversation and advisory capacity, but then yeah. I started to realize the potential implications and usages of such a powerful tool. Um, and I would say when I came back from the summer, I realized that this is what I want to do full time. And I realized that we need uh, somebody as you know strong and powerful to complement our skill set. And I really couldn't think of anyone better than Laura to do that. You're way too kind. And it took, I would say, I don't know, a few beers in a few months <laughs> um, to convince Laura to join. And Laura joined in November. I would say yeah. yeah, November, and we are officially a company since a few weeks ago.
1: Yeah, and we've been fortunate to be part of the greenhouse program here in Columbia this spring, which has been a really, you know, for those listening, it's effectively a you know incubator on campus uh, for second years in their spring semester who are committed to working on a new venture. Uh it's been an absolutely wonderful program. Absolutely. Uh you know, it's really helped uh us jumpstart our progress and develop what you know used to be a really cool technology and mm-hmm. a functioning back end to, to where we are now, which is having a fully functional prototype that we can, you know, or planning to begin testing with, with our uh demo partners in, in just a few weeks. So it's been really exciting. Oh, yeah.
0: So you're solving a problem that's relatively easy to understand. You're helping companies to make better decisions but your solution is kind of like by its very nature a little complex and nuanced. Mm -hmm. Are you finding it difficult to explain to, let's say your parents or like your relatives or your friends what the company really does?
2: Yeah, I always say that um, for a person that has 10 years of experience in the decision space and I can explain what we're doing over a 45 minute cup of coffee.
1: (laughs) And you know, my my mom has a master's in math, and my father has a PhD in aerospace engineering. Oh, that's not and <laughs> still, it's challenging oh, really? at times. Uh, uh, per- perhaps that's that's the person explaining it, not the people listening. Yeah, but yeah. Um, <laughs> but yes, I, I think that that's a that's a big challenge for us, and and a challenge that we'll continue to have going forward. You know, we're not building a consumer facing app that's really easy and intuitive to understand mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. easily fits into people's everyday lives um but we are building thing something that we think will impact many 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 people's lives and could potentially have very positive impact on them so that's really exciting and motivating for us but uh, you know, the, the elevator pitch, the 30-second explanation um, is quite challenging. It's quite challenging.
0: Uh, yeah. I would imagine
1: and, it, and it's hard to do it in a way where you actually give some substance, but you don't sound like you're just rambling off a bunch of buzzwords, mm-hmm. which nobody <laughs> wants to be doing that. Nobody wants to be listening to that. So yeah. uh, figuring out a way to cut through the clutter is something that we're still working on every day. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so
0: did you guys both come into business school... Knowing you want to start a company, and I know, like Laura, you you have a pretty successful career in finance before business school. What were your thoughts coming into school about yeah.
1: joining or starting a company? Thank you, show. I appreciate that. Uh, so I very much came back to business school to uh, pursue starting a company. I come from a family of of software en- entrepreneurs. Uh, had always wanted to start my business, my own business. Got out of undergrad. Thought I was an engineer, you know, like any good engineer, went to go work in finance um, and, you know, very much did that. I went to go work at JP Morgan initially in investment banking and then ended up spending uh, 12 years there working in the derivatives business for most of the time. And sales and and new product development and structuring roles. Uh, And it was an absolutely wonderful experience, a wonderful career, um, you know, but and and something I very much wanted to do to kind of go out on my own and prove myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I found myself in that job still thinking about that. uh, I want to start my own business dream. But I hadn't had that great idea. I think of it as the Newton-Apple moment. I'd never had that great idea hit me uh, and thought that you had to come into business school with that idea in order to be a successful entrepreneur. I, I, I think that couldn't be more incorrect. If you have an idea that you want to work on during your time at business school, that's absolutely wonderful. It's a wonderful two-year window in, in which you can really uh, jumpstart your business and get your business off the ground, but you can also be an entrepreneur in search of that idea and, and be someone that wants to start a company uh, who comes on to a, a business school campus, campus or is as fortunate to come to a place like Columbia where there's so many wonderful uh, wonderful people, so many intelligent people around you with such wonderful ideas, just being part of that ecosystem. It's amazing the creativity it can inspire you and, and what wonderful things it can bring up. So, um, yeah, I very much came wanting to start, and 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 day one threw myself into everything entrepreneurship related yeah. at Columbia, <laughs> uh, and I, I I couldn't have been uh, more happy with the outcome. It's been an absolutely wonderful experience, and getting the chance to. You know, work work with folks uh, at Columbia Entrepreneurship like Dave and Brendan, who I mentioned from, who who run the Greenhouse program, or mm-hmm. the wonderful folks at the Lang Center. Um, it's it's really been an honor. It's really been an honor.
2: And I understand why we're fortunate to have Laura on board. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so my answer would be less straightforward, I would say yes and no mm-hmm. um, I, I also an engineer by training I uh, served in the Air Force. I worked at Intel as an engineer for a short while for for four years. Um, but I, I did come to Colombia to start a company and build a startup. Uh, I was involved with that before as well i, I wasn 't a management team of a nonprofit dealing with entrepreneurship. I advised incubators in Europe in South America on on building companies. But also, there was something that I realized over the last few years that entrepreneurship, despite you know Silicon Valley and other uh, sitcoms, I truly believe it it requires a lot of maturity and Mm -hmm. deep understanding of what we are doing and where we are uh, operating. And while I have a lot of admiration to consumer apps and other successful companies, not everyone can become Facebook, and I believe it's, uh, I wouldn't call it a lottery, but it's the chances are very close to that. Mm-hmm. And I had a very powerful insight moment um, Actually, in Israel last year, when I was uh, leading Chazen, uh, we met, our group met with the CEO and founder of Ravella Systems, Ravella Networks, sorry, uh, just two days after they sold their company for $500 million to Oracle. They still had bottles of champagne around the office. It was that
1: soon. Uh, and, uh, and the
2: CEO said, uh, the co founder, uh, something very, that resonated very strongly with me. Uh, it, He said that the average age of a successful startup founder is 42. Yeah, that's right. It's not 25-year-old guy in a hoodie in the Silicon Valley, Mm -hmm. Um, although it's a better TV show. (laughs) And and this maturity, and I realized that I don't have it. I I Mm -hmm. don't have the the deep understanding of um, either the technology or the underlying problem that some industry has that I want to fix with my company, and that's why I was very, very happy when I learned about the technology that uh, Dmitri uh, developed over the last decade and starts helped him perfect that into the product it is today, and basically with Laura over the last six months, we were looking for the right application in the market for Uh, for this very powerful technology. And it's not a one-day job. I think we're still doing that to some extent. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's why, so yes, I wanted to start a company. No, I had, as Laura said, I had no idea what it's going to be. Um, And I didn't want to do something just to do something. Agreed, Um, agreed. And I decided I want to do that only if I'm very, very confident that this is a very powerful product market fit. Um, and, you know, we have a true chance of uh, having an impact.
0: Um, this might be a sensitive subject, but you're both graduating in a couple of weeks. No. Uh, but you'll remain in the Columbia startup ecosystem because you'll be working out of the Columbia Startup Lab in Soho. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the Startup Lab and what the opportunity will allow you guys to do?
1: Yeah. So we we are super excited to be at the Startup Lab after graduation. So we start there, we graduate and just... About a month, and uh, and then we go there. A week and a half. (laughs) Started in June. (laughs) Well, I mean, classes end, but we officially graduated. Mm, Yes. (laughs) Um, And uh, there's there's two solid weeks of fun in between. (laughs) Um, And uh, we're we're super excited to be joining uh, the crew at the startup lab Uh, in June. Both of us will be there, uh, which will be really exciting. I think you know, the, the benefits are huge of being in the startup lab, but I think two really stand out for me. Um, one, just being again in that, a collaborative cohort of of other people trying to found businesses and having the support of that network, the friendships in that network, the shared experiences, the shared knowledge that we can all leverage to all make each of our businesses as successful as possible. I think is super exciting. Mm-hmm. So really happy to be part of that cohort again. It's been something that's been very beneficial to us thus far. Um, mm-hmm. The spring and greenhouse. So very happy to to continue on with a number of those companies and the startup lab. And then I would say, too, like, I personally, I mean, I worked on the trading floor for over a decade, I thrive in environments where there's a lot of action and a lot of mm-hmm. things going on and a lot of movement, a lot of, uh, a lot of noise often as well. <laughs> uh, so for me personally, I'm really excited just by the energy, um, that's in the startup lab and, and how that energy I think will help continue to motivate us and, and continue to, to keep us kind of running at a, at a full sprint, uh, on, on stratify.
0: So you've mentioned how, um, how important the greenhouse program has been for you guys so far, are there other classes you 've taken in the past two years that have been beneficial for you as entrepreneurs
1: yeah absolutely so one one class i 'd mentioned that i 'm actually in right now is negotiation so i 'm taking it with professor Zhang who 's absolutely wonderful she 's uh, a you know it 's only her second year teaching on campus uh, but she 's an absolutely amazing professor and and really Uh, runs the class extraordinarily well. It's a topic that I think everybody uh, kind of rolls their eyes about and nobody necessarily runs into a negotiation class excited, at least at the onset. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's a topic that obviously is extraordinarily um, helpful and useful in business. I think so many of us think about negotiations as as fights or zero-sum games where one party wins and one party loses uh you know that has been always my discomfort around negotiations in the past is i i'm not a big fan of zero-sum games uh i much prefer <laughs> situations where we grow the pie and everybody wins and everybody's happy uh So, you know, a lot of that class has been very focused on exactly that. Um, And how do you how do you go into negotiation where where people have their own preconceived notions heading in? and, And how do you make sure that you everybody's focused on growing the pie and finding outcomes that work for all parties? Uh, so that's one I would definitely highlight another one I would highlight uh, that I took last spring uh, is the entrepreneurship immersion class that's taught by Vince Ponzo who's actually on the podcast last week uh, Vince is absolutely wonderful uh, director at the Lang Center we're so very fortunate to have him and he teaches this great entrepreneurship immersion class that's offered in the spring semester effectively it's it's a couple Fridays where we spend the morning chatting about a certain sphere of entrepreneurship uh, and then you know whether that's starting a company, joining a startup, uh, investing in companies or corporate innovation and entrepreneurship, uh, and then go out and, and meet with companies in the afternoon. So it's a really wonderful class that truly leverages, uh, you know, the the amazing privilege that we have at Columbia Business School of being in New York City, as we like to say at the very center of business. Oh, uh, that in. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, I always get that in. Um, but, you know, the fact that Literally, we all would hop on a bus and in 20 minutes uh, be at Betterman's office yeah. or uh, be uh, talking to partners at Greycroft or whatever it is was a really uh, a really fantastic experience. And then I'll give one last plug, which is for Ed Zimmersman and, uh, and Jonathan Chow's uh, VC Angels deals, uh, gut driven tech investing, which is one of the. That's longest name. names wow. yeah. of a class i think in our in our course catalog very uh, too. yeah exactly uh but that was a wonderful class where again we're just talking about uh starting companies early stage investing where both ed and jonathan did an absolutely fantastic job getting some really amazing speakers and to talk to us every week that's great so there you go michael i didn't even give you time to mention any classes
2: yeah okay so <laughs> as a revenge i'll mention a few and- as an added surprise, one of the classes would be a core class, uh, and I think business analytics with yeah. Professor Bezbes was honestly hugely beneficial for mm-hmm. what we're doing. Um, I enjoyed that class a lot. And on top of that, Professor Sings, I took everything he teaches in this school, and I would take more, but they, you know, they don't let me. Um, <laughs> but specifically, service operation management, I think is a wonderful class. Um, and really helpful to what we're doing. And on the software end of things, I would uh, point out Professor Jake's, uh class on org change, which is sort of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And right. selling into enterprise is one big org change challenge. Exercise, yep. It's mm-hmm. Exactly. And uh, I think it is very helpful, uh, the insights. And as soft as it gets, probably Napoleon's glance with Professor Duggan, um, I think was a very... Helpful class, just in general, to to realize how you know things mix up and how you can bring things from um, one domain to the other um, and thus create value this way. And I think it was a great class, especially for entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. It's very powerful.
0: Yeah, um, as a first year, it's so helpful to hear from second years what classes to take for next year. So, uh, thank you so much for that. Um, so, we end all podcasts with asking this question. Um, do you have any advice for our listeners out there who are thinking about starting their
1: own ventures? Wow, great question. Um, so I would say, well, in short, yes, but I'll keep it to one little bit of advice. I, I think the, the biggest thing is just to get out there and start doing it. Um, that first, those first couple steps as with anything can be the scariest and, and the hardest in many ways. Um, You know, talking to people about your idea, especially when you're early stages and even before you really have anything can be really, really challenging. Um, Just jump off of that ledge and just do it. Uh, As you start talking to people, you'll hear ideas from people, you'll, you'll see certain things resonate with people, other things don't, you'll start revising your pitch. You'll start further developing your idea. Next thing you know, one of your friends is going to introduce you to one of their friends that can help build your business. And, you know, I think just just starting is, is the hardest and can be the most intimidating point and just starting even talking about something before you have it. So I would just encourage people to not be scared of that first step and, and just start talking with your, your family, your friends about what you're thinking about. And, and you'll be amazed by, by how much uh, you can get from just that.
2: Yeah, um, I don't have as deep of an insight as Laura has, so I'll steal from somebody else. (laughs) Um, Actually, Dev and Brendan, on the first day of Greenhouse, they gave us a book called uh, The Hard Thing, about hard things, Mm -hmm. and I did the terrible mistake of reading it over the first weekend. And it's a short book, like 300 pages, and it basically outlines how painful, how terrible, how much of a nightmare it would be to build a company and i wouldn't say we had it that bad yeah. but it's definitely a very very difficult path to choose uh, i mean i spent my summer in consulting with McKinsey. laura was for a million years uh, in investment banking and i think what we're doing right now is as hard if not harder than mm-hmm. our previous careers mm-hmm. um so that is something I would be, you know, mindful of. It's a lot of fun, but it's very, very hard. Uh, but to finish that, um, there is a, an amazing lecture that I can really recommend by Randy Pausch. He was a Carnegie Mellon professor of computer science. Uh, he passed away a few years ago of cancer, and he gave a lecture on um, the last lecture. This mm-hmm. was the name of it. And in this lecture, he has this thing about brick walls that they are there for a reason, and They're basically keeping the ones who do not want something enough out. So, yes, building a company is very, very difficult, but it's a brick wall. And if you want it enough and if you are driven enough, the reward after the wall is pretty amazing.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a great way to end it, Michael. That's a great way to end the podcast. I'm I'm stealing (laughs) from
2: other smart people. That's all (laughs) I'm doing.
0: Thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast.
1: Thanks so much, Joe. We so appreciate you having us on.
2: Thank you, thanks.